and at just four years old, her life was changed when her hands touched the black and white keys on a keyboard for the very first time. Her love for music evolved into a career as a professional dancer, and she became one of the youngest members of the San Francisco Ballet. As her talents developed, Empress moved to New York City where she performed on Broadway as the lead in the Tony Award-winning production of An American in Paris. Today, her career has come full circle as she has released her debut EP, We Own This Crown, this past year. You can find her music on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Without further ado, let's get started. Hi, my name is Kirby Ingles, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Kirby Ingalls, and I'm here with Empress. And Empress is on a mission to inspire people to be the ruler of their own life. Empress, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, hey, everyone. I am Empress. I am a singer-songwriter a former ballerina and a Broadway actress. And I'm on a mission to empower you to be the empress or emperor of your own life and the creator of your own happiness. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, one of the things we like to do is, is we like to kind of dive into, you know, how this all started. And, uh, you know, everybody has the beginning story and it's really interesting to kind of get to know the beginning, the middle, and then kind of where you're at. And then we'll talk about where you're going to go into the future. And so how did this all start for you? This all started like with music. I, I'd heard music as a kid, um, constantly. My parents always had music on Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just loved it so much. There was some knack that I had with like, my ear. So when I was really little, I think I was probably around three or four, mm-hmm. I started composing. And it was it was an easy thing because I would hear a song and then I wouldn't actually know how to play the piano at all. But I'd I, we had this upright piano that my great-grandmother gave us. And I um, used to crawl up and start, you know, just kind of playing whatever I thought sounded pretty. And I was, I'd always call it, I'm making up songs you know and it was a really fun um activity you know for a kid and no one's telling me yes or no there's no you know no one teaching me so one day um my mom was out shopping or something and it was her birthday and i figured out how to play happy birthday on the piano by myself no one's teaching me any of this i was about four and my mom i played it for her when she got home she said how did you do this. I thought I was in trouble. And so I was like, no one taught me. I'm sorry, you know, and and started crying. And she's like, uh, no, we're getting you piano lessons now. Like you have an ear for music. So I started playing and I had the best, best teacher in the world. She was the equivalent of 
a Mary Poppins for music teachers. So she was bubbly and made it fun. And she used my natural ability to be able to hear music to um, kind of get me to want to read and sight read music and learn musical theory and stuff. But it was all to help support my natural ability to compose. So she taught me everything I know. And and ironically, through all of that, there was this underlying thing that also relates to music, which was movement. So every time I would hear music, it was like my only way to express myself was to dance around, you know, and, and most kids do that. But I was next level. Like I would get in costumes. I, I would watch like a dance film and, you know, I would learn all the steps and I'd be as perfect as possible. And so my mom and dad definitely enrolled me in, in dance lessons very young. And I was so into it. I mean, like I was the kid that um, wasn't there to socialize, was there to dance. And like, if a teacher gave us a correction, I listened and I worked so hard. And, you know, I grew up in a very small town where it's a, um, it's, it's for fun. People dance for fun. And it's just a recreational thing for me. Um, I think at seven years old, I wrote down three life goals and then that was a, an interesting thing because my parents were always really big in dreaming and you can be anything you want to be as long as you apply yourself, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. And so what is that, you know, and they had us do my, my brother, sister, and I had us sit down one day and, and write out our dreams and goals. And I was really fast. I was pretty much just like a 30 second, like, okay, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a singer and I want to be an actress. And it was very concise. And there's no one in my family that has ever done any of those things. So the fact that I knew that at seven years old was kind of, you know, um, weird, <laughs> if you will. And, and yet it's something that a lot of little girls want to do. So, so there's that, I guess, but, um, but I became a professional ballerina at the age of 16, which was also a dream of mine to be in San Francisco ballet. So I ended up becoming a professional dancer and uh, later went on to do a Broadway show called An American in Paris, which I ended up getting to the lead role as well in that role. Like it was, it was a dream come true. So the first day in Broadway rehearsals, they said, you are no longer a ballerina, you are an actress. And I remember thinking like, call my mom, tell her that I'm checking off the second thing of my list of things to do, you know, yeah. when I was seven. So, um, so that was pretty cool. And, and so full circle now with my music, that was the underlying source of everything. And it just made yeah. sense for me to kind of come full circle back to, to my roots. And, um, and you know, here I am a singer songwriter. It's really a blessing. Yeah. And there's, that's awesome. I, there's a couple, well, actually a few things in that dialogue. I think, uh, I want to ask you some questions. Sure, about. Yeah, um, go ahead. You know, I guess one of them is, is more of a, statement but it, i guess you know you could elaborate on a little more um you brought up creativity and for me you know i never thought of creativity as something uh that i was just blessed with or talent you know had had a skill for you know when it, people think of creativity a lot of us kind of paint ourselves in a box um and you know i guess you could talk about how you know schools you know systems today you know most of our education is is they teach you a process and you right. know it's just we're, we're there to function and that's kind of how we, we've kind of developed in the modern world we're all taught to yeah. do a process and that's it you know and yeah. and so creativity is kind of we've all kind of felt kind of fell in this category of at least i did you know of, um i'm here to perform a function but you know 
don't get outside the box. You know, there's people like Einstein who are geniuses that were creative and come up with these things. And some of us just didn't have that. Uh, I would say it's probably changed for me um, probably over the last 10, 15 years um, that, uh, you know, you don't have to be an artist, a dancer, a musician or any of those things to be creative. Um, And that our work is our creative expression in the world. And, uh, and I think that, you know, for me, that's changed. I don't know what your thought process is behind that and your your beliefs about behind creativity, but I'd be curious to know. There's studies that have been done, um, that have shown that if, especially in art Mm -hmm. to grade children in their artwork is a total, um, a disservice to mm-hmm. their creativity because you can't really grade art, especially and and ideas too. And it's it's really a difficult mm-hmm. thing to um, you know, there's no right or wrong formula, but mm-hmm. they teach you something that works for a lot of people, and you kind of figure out which one mm-hmm. works for you. But um, I was homeschooled, mm-hmm. and so it was that for me that was the best place for me because mm-hmm. my brother and sister are different. Um, I think if you if you're a teacher and I've taught as, as well, you have to teach for the, the student and, mm-hmm. and how they learn. That was why I had, I mean, the best experience to my, my music teacher and a lot of my ballet teachers, they taught for me. She wasn't teaching me how to sight read because I hated sight reading. Mm-hmm. I like to make up my own songs. So she taught me how to, to read music and write music so that I could do that for my own, you know, like, composing world and stuff. And so it was really interesting. My parents did that for me. Um, I went to preschool and I was not doing well because actually specifically in art class and, um, you know, you have a time limit and I, I came home with half finished artwork every day and they were just like, this isn't working for our kid. You know, she needs more time and being rushed in her creativity is not helping her at all in her, um, you know, I was very shy. I was crying every day, you know, going to school. I didn't want to go. And they were like, this isn't working for her. So they took me out of school and decided to homeschool me, which was the best thing that they could have ever done for me. Um, you know, my sister hated it. So she always wanted to go to school. She ended up going to school and doing much better there. Um, and my brother was so athletic that he did, homeschooling. He got really good at all of the sports that he was into um, and then ended up going to um, public school because they needed him on the, you know, the high school teams and stuff. So, so for each kid, it was different, but for me, it was the best thing, you know, ever. Um, And because I didn't have that structure at home when I had it in the ballet studio or in acting classes or singing lessons I was fine with it you know mm-hmm. and I could really focus on whatever I was doing at the time because I didn't have a million other things going on it was like they're all still creative but there's a lot of structure in creativity mm-hmm. as well so you know for me anyways I have realized with the three different careers there's a structure and you just have to find which one works yeah. for you because the thing about education is that they they um, lump you into this group and and you you're you know there's people that are going to move faster and there's people that are going to move slower but you can't you have to move together as a unit and 
that's a really helpful thing to know how to do. Mm-hmm. But at some point you have to realize where you are in that group and figure out what works best for you. And um, so anyway, that's my I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really powerful because you talk about, you know, finding that you uniqueness about each individual and your family did it with the, you know, your, your three siblings or your two siblings. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you guys found your own path in your own way and it brought out each one of your artistic creativities Uh, And I think that's really important for a lot of us to realize, you know, because I think most of us, um, we do a lot of comparison, right? We compare ourselves to others. We compare our journey with others. Never going to be as smart as Einstein. And Einstein actually had a really smart wife who they they say that he'd never gave credit to, you know, for a lot of his amazing ideas. Dogs itching her head. Um, But so we have, you can create, you can literally create these, um, invisible walls to Uh to reach your greatest potential when you start comparing yourself to others i mean it's Uh it's a bottomless pit you it's like the the end of a facebook wall you will never find it you know (laughs) yeah and i think i had a lot of those self-limiting beliefs just because of you know the environment and stuff and so i appreciate someone that's come along like you who just really inspires people to kind of follow their dreams and I think that was the second thing that I wanted to talk to you about as far as, you know, um, our, our conversation up to this point. Uh, I was listening to, or watching your Instagram feed and you were in a podcast and you talked about dreams and people should keep dreaming. And even though that you have achieved these three different careers, which we're going to talk about and and hit on, you know, the, being a ballerina, a singer, songwriter, an actor and, and all of these things, um, once you got to one level you know, you didn't stop dreaming. You dreamed right. about what's next. And right. so uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I think that the evolution of dreams starts super vague in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the seven-year-old in me wanted to be a ballerina mm-hmm. and then wanted to be an actress and wanted to be a singer. And as I got closer to achieving those goals, they become clearer and then you can continuously dream. Cause like for specifically for the ballet, I achieved all the dreams. And it was, it was like when I was um, 12 years old, I saw this article about a 16 year old girl who kind of looked like me. She was the same height, blue eyes, brown hair, really, really um, similar body type. And I read this article, I saw this picture and it just ingrained in me of Um, she got hired at San Francisco ballet at the age of 16. And I remember reading this article thinking to myself, how am I going to get to San Francisco ballet from Lake Tahoe, which is like, you know, a tiny little town. I was a little, I was a big fish in a tiny pond and get to this giant, you know, ocean of talent and, and like, how am I going to do that? And then I stopped thinking about the how, and I just focused on that image of, of me, maybe like putting my face in that picture. And I'll never forget the day I joined San Francisco ballet. I was 16 years old, barely 16. And, um, the woman that was in that photo, um, that it was like in my head had just retired and she was teaching ballet class that day. And I got to take her bar spot. She had just retired. And so there's like, hierarchy when it comes to like who where you can warm up in the studio and I got to walk up to that bar spot put my hands on the bar I did just for fun I did the same exact pose that she did in the the magazine and I looked in the mirror and I thought okay this is really cool because I've had this in my head like it was it was a uh, exciting but it wasn't shocking if that makes sense mm-hmm. um like I knew I would 
I knew I was going to achieve this at some point, but it was, it was pretty cool to actually like be 16, be in the same position. She was teaching class. I mean, just the whole thing. Um, but I kind of, my, my learning lesson there was I stopped dreaming there. I was like, check, you know, I'm here. Well, I had an 11 year career after that. So, you know what I mean? So like dreaming this was, was not great for my career from there because I never got to the level that I really wanted to get to because I sort of just limited my own dreams. Like I could have achieved it if I just sort of dreamed a little bit bigger. So, so now what I do in my career Thank you for being a part of the True Success Podcast, hosted by me, Kirby Ingalls. Subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, and Spotify to get your weekly updates. In anything that I'm doing, actually, I ask myself, I allow myself to dream. I give myself time. You don't share pearls with pigs. Don't share them with everyone that, you know, when you just have the first bud of an idea that you need to let it like sprout and, and kind of have a little bit more of the roots underneath them so that someone doesn't just come and blow you over. But um, when, when you dream, you allow it to kind of start taking shape. And then you ask yourself, am I dreaming big enough? Am I, should I be planting a garden instead of just a single seed? You know, is there, is there more to this? And as you get there, you know, it's like, I went from dreaming about being a ballerina to wanting to be in San Francisco ballet at 16. And then I kind of just let it, you know, go. And then weeds start coming and I didn't weed them, you know? So there was a lot of hardship in that career. Um, and I remember thinking, I really just need to get to the grass is greener on the other side. I need to get to the other side. That was Broadway. And when I got to Broadway, it was greener, but it sort of, I, I, I dreamed bigger, but not big enough, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And, and I know that sounds like a total champagne problem, you know, first world problem moment, yeah. but I, I feel like I could have achieved more in a shorter amount of time. I ended up achieving it all, but it, it just, if I'm not, if you don't have a focused target, you can't hit it. So mm. for me, uh, I allow myself to have a very vague target and then I start making it more and more detailed and, and like, you know, it's just easier to hit something if you know what you're trying to go for. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and especially for women, you yeah. don't dream big enough on a day. Like there are so many things that we allow to happen. And I'm, I'm realizing this now, you know, in my music career is that women, they sell themselves short all the time. They don't ask for as much money. They don't, you know, push themselves in ways that other people, you know, do. And so, and it's not just women, but I think in general, um, you know, us ladies, we got to stick together and support each other. And I'm telling you dream big and, and ask yourself if you're dreaming big enough. No, I think it's awesome. And I'm glad you kind of talked about uh, women in music uh, because uh, you, you have some music videos yeah. out there um and maybe you could talk kind of talk about some of them so uh yeah. the one i noticed um i'll ask you a little bit about uh you know at least what the song's about um 
as you mentioned earlier, flowers, you know, planting those seeds, letting them blossom. And so there's there's a song where you're in this field of yellow. I believe it's yellow. I'm colorblind, so I believe it's yellow flowers. Um, you want to kind of talk about the meaning of that? I mean, you kind of you talk about the uniqueness of each flower. You know, you talk about how they're able to stand up and, you know, withstand, you know, different climates, mm -hmm. rain, you know, they're, they stand tall. And so kind of you want to what what's behind that? What, what's I love that. Thank you so much for asking. You're the first person that's asked me. Um, and, and there's a lot of thought that went behind this for me. And, and I just thought the symbolism of a field of flowers is so cool because um, I think especially in the performing arts, there's uh, this, this stigma that there's not enough room for everyone to succeed. And I thought, um, you know, if that was the case for a field of flowers, then there'd only be one flower. We'd never have fields of flowers that stand together, you know, and they just are so breathtakingly beautiful when they stand tall and stand together and support each other and kind of enhance each other's beauty. And so I, for me, anyway, I um, put a lot of thought into this because I thought, uh, you know, in my music career, I want to, to continuously, um, <clears throat> excuse me, write for what I want the world to be like, rather than how it is necessarily. And I really would love to see um, female empowerment to come from within, rather than always pointing the finger externally, you know, for the, the Me Too and the Time's Up movement. I mean, it's important to call people out for their actions if they're doing something wrong. But at some point, we have to realize that we have to support each other yeah. and women are like the last people sometimes to support each other. And I'm, I was always the supportive one um, and maybe not always treated the kindest, but I still always realize that there's enough room for us all to succeed. And that if we support each other and really kind of encourage each other, that's how we become stronger and can actually like help each other out in a way, you know, because if we're always waiting for someone else to help us, it's never going to happen. So it has to come from an internal place. And my favorite quote is, um, you know, uh, female empowerment doesn't come from the opposite sex. It comes from within. And yeah. I, I really, I feel like that was like a perfect way to kind of just explore that in a poem and, you know, with visuals of the flowers. And, and I just thought it was a really cool way to kind of express that. Yeah, there was a we had a previous guest on the show. Uh, she she was a female empowerment um, coach and and things like that. And one of the things that uh, resonated with me that she said, even even as a man, you know, she talked about stepping into your power. And so when yeah. you say that 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 statement just resonated with me. So I think that's very powerful. There's another video that you have out that I liked. Um, some of the lyrics just caught me as I was listening to it, and it's the snow globe. Um, oh, and if and then as I was watching it, you're you climbed up, you know, in studio makeup and everything else, climbed up to the top of this mountain, um, filmed this video, and I'm assuming there's a drone flying over videoing it, um, and there's snow coming, you know, and things like that. But uh, uh, you know, you talked about shaking up the snow globe and shaking, you know, it sounds like shaking up your life, you know, change, doing things differently. Um, and also there was, um, a, uh, I believe, uh, uh, you said something to the effect of, uh, turning rain into snowflakes. So yeah, even when it rains, I make snowflakes. Yeah. 
Well, I <laughs> thought those were some pretty that. cool things. You know, when I heard that, one of the things I heard was, is you can't have, you know, flowers without rain, you know, I mean, yeah. you have to have gloomy exactly. days in order to grow from that. And I'm, I'm assuming that's the direction you were going with that, but I'll let you have lemonades without lemons too. Yeah. So that was kind of my version of that. You know, even when it rains, I make snowflakes, you yeah. know, it's like shake it up like a snow globe. It was, it was interesting. Cause I imagined when we were, when I was writing this song, I was writing it with a co-worker and I was telling her about this story about, um, exactly what we've been talking about, not dreaming big enough. I was sitting on the opera house stage in my dream company after a, a really great performance, but no one said thank you to me. I mean, I had like, you know, hurt. I was hurt. I was in pain always. Like there was always a blister or something was happening with my body. And I just remember crying and uncontrollably crying on the stage in this beautiful ball gown. I was supposed to go to a party afterwards. I was hosting a ballet party event and I couldn't stop crying because I just realized that I was living my dream and I wasn't happy living this dream. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in a way. I'm stuck in this, in this like, um, you know, sort of a snow globe situation that was like dead. It was just like, you know, when, when it gets old, a snow globe gets yeah. old and you don't shake it up for a while. You, it's like, it's just dirty water. Basically. Yeah. That's how it felt. It just was like, this doesn't sparkle anymore. I was really actually a very unhappy. And I thought I need to get to the other, other snow globe. Like I'm not happy in this one, but if I get to that one, I'll be happier. And I did mm -hmm. that on Broadway. And I remember thinking the same thing. Cause I was like, not really that happy doing eight shows a week on Broadway every day, you know? Yeah. And so there were days where you're exhausted and, and that's when you usually break down. And I remember having this moment of like, oh, I need to find my happiness from within. If I don't do that, then I'm never going to find happiness. And then I realized that when you start shaking up those, those snow globes, it's like, it kind of brings the life back and it'll get rid of kind of some of the gross, you know, water and stuff. It just shakes it up and it makes it look really beautiful. And um, the day we were writing this, it was a total um, New York blizzard and you could barely see outside. And, and we were getting stuck on the chorus. I was like, gosh, it just looks like a snow globe outside. And we both went, ding, you know, it's like the, the, that definitely was the, the key that we needed to finish writing that song. And, um, and it was a great reminder for me to just realize that happiness doesn't come from another snow globe. You are in your own snow globe. You can't actually like we are we live in this one little perspective our own little worlds and if we can't find happiness from within we're never going to find it and that was for me it's just a reminder for you know I, ironically I found freedom um you know when I found happiness from within I didn't feel like I was stuck in a snow globe anymore so that's my new career with Empress it was like me becoming the ruler over my own life and and really just like not waiting for someone else to do, to do the coronation. It was like, I was just like, I'm going to build my own crown. I'm going to put it on my head. I'm going to rule my own life. I'm not worried about ruling anyone else's life. It's just my little world. And we all live in our own worlds, you know, so pointing the finger externally or always looking at the grass that's greener on the other side. It's, it's really 
a waste of everybody's time. I've realized 20 years of my life, puff, puff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and I think, I think, you know, if folks go to your Instagram feed or even your YouTube, we'll share all the links of your social media channels great. Thank in you. the show notes and stuff. They can go and, and listen to it. Um, it was something that I even shared with my wife, you know, this, this afternoon, you know, as I was, you know, kind of taking some notes and preparing and kind of refreshing myself and, uh, you know, and I was like, I said, I said, this is some really cool stuff. And so I think that it's just great videos that, you know, if anybody's looking for some empowerment, There's you know, tons more coming too. I'm really excited. And the next one, resonate with that. Yeah. lots, lots more. Very and then you cool. also had a video on there about, uh, um, it was a five minute, uh, fitness video. So oh, yeah, that one is insane actually. So that is a, a full body workout that is going, you know, it's a re it's hard, but it's, it's like, if you only have five minutes and you want a full body workout that mm -hmm. a ballerina developed over 11 years or 15 years, really, then try this. It's the Vixen workout. It's five mm -hmm. minutes. It's one minute exercises, no, no, um, dumbbells, no extra, like equipment necessary. You can do it in your jeans. It's really awesome. Um, and it, I basically developed it through my ballet career. I was getting injured all the time yeah. and, um, it was because I wasn't cross training. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to do a lot of cross training because I bulk up very easily. So I needed to stay really long and lean. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so weights weren't good for my body type at all. And so your own resistance is like, perfect, especially if, I think for anyone, really, if you want to lean up, this is like the perfect exercise for you. Um, and so I started doing this, my body has been healthy and strong, and I haven't fluctuated in my weight after my, you know, post ballet career. So I, I've stayed healthy and, and I don't ever give myself that much time to work out. So five minutes is all I usually have. And that's about it. <laughs>
in form in years and years. I mean, probably a 30, 40 year career, uh, you know, and I, so I, I just, you know, I wanted to kind of maybe understand from your perspective, because um, I've kind of seen a few different things and, oh, gosh. and yeah. there's I maybe mean, some stereotypes out there that, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, there's everything. So like I was thinking back uh, this week, I was thinking back on all of my body injuries for just for fun. I was like, how many things do I think I've injured in my, my career? Turns out it's every single like part of your body from literally from ingrown toenails to concussions. I mean, like I've had everything I've torn things, my elbow, my calf, my hamstring, my thigh, like hip back. I've scoliosis. There's like all kinds of neck and shoulder injuries and sprains and tears and like you name it. I have been through every single injury and I've never had the same one twice, which is really, you know, knock on wood, um, really kind of the coolest part for me was the learning lesson. I think early on in my career, I had a bunch of sprained ankles and I was like, what is going on with my ankles? You know, I had really, really flexible feet. And, um, if you wear soft shoes, they, um, it just stretches everything out. And then if you wobble at all, it just pulls and tears and does things to your ankles. So it's, it's like such a bummer because that's, you know, time they, now you have to heal and then you have to rehab to get back to where you just were, you know? And so it's just a time consuming, awful thing. And what, um, one of my, my learning lessons was, and this is, this is actually really helpful. I think they don't talk about this enough for dancers specifically, um, is when you're healing, for any kind of ankle or foot injury, they put you in a boot. And these are gigantic, heavy, awkward boots that there's no, um, what happens is your ankle, your heels like an L shape, and we have to get it back to point. So that makes, it makes literally zero sense for us because it takes twice as long to get our foot to point again, because it heals in the wrong way. So when you just wrap it up and wear clogs, it's better because also it's lopsided. There's not, I I swear this would be like the million dollar idea. I'm going to just give it out there because I don't feel like doing this myself. But if someone could create a shoe, that's the same height and same kind of, um, you know, like non rolly of, you know, like non-flexibility in the shoe, if somebody could make the same height shoe and your hips wouldn't go off and then your back wouldn't get all weird and your neck. I mean, cause it causes so many problems just by being in a higher, you know, heel than the other leg. So now your hips are off and yeah. then your hips are off, you're screwed. So, so basically there's so many problems with, with like the way that they treat dancer injuries that I got better and better at as I got older, they always told me my career was over. Never listen to doctors when they tell you that they're, they're supposed to give you the worst, you know, the thing that I've learned, I've seen every doctor under the sun, uh, all different specialists. They always give you the worst, um, opinion so that it covers their, you know, themselves so that if, if something bad does happen, then they're like, see, I told you, but I mean, they've called me a miracle so many times. I mean, like, I can't even, um, but so, so for my, my body wise, that was really difficult. Cherry topper. I was hired as a little girl and I turned into a woman while I was in the ballet. So transitioning as, um, you know, like a little flat chested girl to becoming a full bodied woman was not an okay thing in the ballet. So I was fired at the ripe age of 19 for quote, not fitting in with the other girls. And that was, uh, um, 
probably the most hurtful thing because it's basically calling someone ugly, you know, and at 19 and being a total normal body weight. But because I wasn't underweight, you know, I was being punished for that. And that was a bummer. I turned to um, nutrition, like, thank God I had a best friend who was a raw foodist at the time, which was a little more extreme than I ever got, but he couldn't keep weight on. And he told me this and I was like, sign me up, you know, fat swan number, you know, 16. <laughs> so I, I became a almost raw foodist. I still had some cooked meat and stuff every once in a while, but um, the eating, eating foods as close to as nature intended them to be, you literally cannot get fat. So that was the, that was my antidote, which was really cool. Um, and so I lost all the weight. I gained my job back, you know, the rest is history. Mm. And, um, and so that was another like hurdle. And then just like the mental, um, mind games that they play with you. is just like, it's so unnecessary. And it's the reason why it happens. And, you know, part of my, my goals in life is to start maybe a consulting firm or something so that when a dancer becomes an artistic director, they have the tools to support them to run a company. Because what happens is these dancers are dancers and, and being a dancer, you have to be very selfish. You have to be, you know, it's, it's all about you. I mean, essentially you have to take care of yourself. No one else will. Um, and so, you know, and when you're on stage, even if you're with a million other people, the only thing you're in control of is you. And you know that as a dancer, you are very isolated in that. And um, when they become a director, they don't have the tools for financial, you know, balancing budgets. They don't know how to communicate with people. They don't know how to have board meetings. They don't do, so it's really difficult. And what they do, and this is just the way it goes, is it's, it remains an unchanged unevolving industry because they revert back to what they know and what they know is 300 years old you know baloney that has been done since the beginning of time because that's just the way it is and it doesn't have to be and it's really sad to me that it doesn't evolve um and so that's part of my mission as well like when i become super famous i can come back and actually like make a difference in the in the world of of the performing arts because it's just it's, it's um, not their fault, but it becomes um, everyone's problem. That makes sense. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing your journey. I mean, that, that's got to yeah. be incredible. I, I can't imagine, you know, the things I take from a lot of that is, is, is a lot of perseverance, a lot of resilience, you know, hard work, determination, discipline. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're really and a professional. Zero, zero, like pats on the back. Like when people give me a compliment, I'm like, la, la, la. I don't know how to take it because I, you don't get those in the ballet ever, ever. I can count on like less than one hand, <laughs> how many compliments I've received from my director. It's not any. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine, you know, you earlier, you talked a little bit about Broadway. So how did you, you know, you, you transitioned from, from being a ballerina um, and you went into Broadway. So how did, how did that happen? This is my favorite question to answer. Uh, this is the most cool experience for me. Like looking back, having hindsight mm -hmm. is it's just really fun to tell the story. So when I was 18, we did this ballet in San Francisco ballet called West Side Story Suite. It's mm -hmm. the same as the movie. It's just way condensed. And there's one role that uh, requires singing and that's the role of Anita and she sings America. And they auditioned the entire company 
and I got the opening night for it. And I had to sing for the first time. I had never sung happy birthday to my parents, let alone in front of a sold out opera house, um, which is about 35, 3,600 people. Like so scary to break your silence like that. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. Seriously. It was all, it was horrible. Fine. So I go on stage, I sing, um, not expecting anything to happen. I was expecting like raindrops, you know, like teardrops or ticks from the clock or something. And it turned into this rock star applause. And that was very cool and exciting and basically turned into this whole world of me singing. But that night, so I was 18, that night, um, the director for An American in Paris mm -hmm. on Broadway, which is the show I did, was sitting in the audience and when he was casting eight years later he was casting um the show of and needed ballerinas who could sing he um <laughs> he cast me and it was it was pretty cool because he you know but that's the way life works sometimes yeah. you don't know what you're doing today how it will affect your tomorrows and that was you know one of those things that i think was written in the stars because you know that it, it's kind of, it sounds very fluky in a way, but I was seven when I wrote down that I wanted to be an actress and that's, you know, the, the dreams they manifest. And so if you can dream without um, having a lot of anchors attached mm -hmm. to it, it just, they manifest somehow and it just comes together. It might not be overnight clearly, yeah. but um, pretty, pretty spectacular, you know, experience. So that's how I joined uh, the cast of American in Paris. Pretty cool. everyone, this week I'd like to share with you a review from Matt Zinman. If there's any one thing about Kirby, it's that he does his homework about guests and develops pointed questions that, in all candor, have never been explored in my prior interviews. I've no doubt that his audience agrees with the value this provides. Thank you, Matt, for that wonderful review. Hey, everyone. Did you know that the number of True Success Podcast fans has doubled in this year alone? We must be doing something right. Let us know what keeps you coming back for more. This enables us to continue providing you the best experience possible, not only for you, but to help others understand how the True Success Podcast is helping make your life easier. Very cool story. I, I appreciate it. You know, this whole interview, I think, is has been empowering for not just me, um, but I think anybody else who's who's listening in right now. Um, you know, the, the, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show, so I want to ask you these three questions. And I'm curious, you know, you, you've already transcended three different careers, um, probably three different tough careers, right? I mean, being a ballerina in San Francisco Ballet. Uh, Broadway and then I mean obviously you know singer songwriter it's not easy to make it you know in the music business so um, so the question is 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 where do you see yourself in 10 or 20 years I know you talked about consulting agency but what does that look yeah, like well that would be like a side gig even like yeah. that's that's something like so my my 10 20 year goals are to 
um, A, be a household name, have Empress be a household name, like, you know, a Lady Gaga or a, you know, whatever you name her um, or him. And, um, and then actually have a record label, the record label, I've started it, but to actually have this become like a real thing, mm-hmm. um, not just house me as Empress, but this record label Stardust World Productions that I started mm-hmm. to be the umbrella in which Empress sits under. Um, I would love to be able to support women in the music industry. And, and I think that that's actually really, it's interestingly rare that there's a female founded record label that actually supports women. Because if you look at their, their, um, you know, rosters of, of artists, it's a lot of men on female founded record labels. So it's, it's just really interesting to me that, you know, we haven't gotten to the point where we can just support each other and not to exclude men. It's just that women need to start somewhere. And at some point it can be more balanced, but you know, to just help. So there's that. Um, um, I'd like to be, uh, the first, um, okay. This is, this is maybe sharing my pearls too early, but, um, but I would love to have two, not one, but two EGOTs. So the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tonys, I would love to have two of those by the, in the next 20 years. I think that's like a really tough goal, but I think it's, it's possible. Well, if you don't shoot for the stars, you might just reach the moon. So that's right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, So tell me what, what your definition of true success is. So if we get rid rid of the normal definition of success, you know, and say, you know, and stop with the, you know, be a millionaire by the, you know, this age or, you know, um, you know, gold record label, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, there's a lot of that intrinsic stuff that we think is success, but they're called statues. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, mine is probably different than other people's, but mine is because I always, um, I'm a very, when you say you're not creative, I guarantee you there is creativity in there. I am, I've somehow been gifted with an abundance of creativity. And I feel sometimes that I don't have the means to make those happen. I don't have the team or the financials or the, you know, I'm not in the right time or place or whatever to make these things happen. So for me to be able to create in excess and, and not have any limitations and just be totally, you know, creative in abundance, then that to me is, is success. And, and for the most part, I've been able to do that, you know, only for a few years because I was always created on. So for me, success is being the creator and to be able to do that in the capacity that I, I think I'm capable of doing is my true version of success. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about that. So, um, I think, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to ask you a question about that. So, you know, yeah. you said the last few years you've been able to do that. How have you been able to do that? You know, be yeah, able this to, is great. Um, this creativity, yeah, totally. creativity and I have been the, the car my whole life and somebody else is sitting in the driver's seat, steering it and someone else paves the path. And so for me, it was like, I want to be the car but I also want to be the driver and I want to pave my own path. And so for me, that is the past few years has been me, you know, it's harder work than just being one of the, the three elements, you know, but it's definitely been, um, very empowering and very rewarding. And I, I, 
am constantly um, reminded that I can do anything if I set my mind to it. And, and so kind of like, you know, in my ballet career, I, I didn't have to create the costumes. I just put on a costume. Right. And now I have to come up with costumes, you know, and like, I have to, I have to write the lyrics and I have to do this. I mean, I don't have to, but I want to, and I think I can. And if I don't try, then I'll never know. And so the past three years has been that for me, it's been, you know, there's literally nothing that I can't do unless I try it. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can't do <laughs> like for one of the music videos that we just did, I, um, obviously came up with the concept because when I write music, I can see what I'm writing before I can kind of figure out the words to describe what I see. So it's almost like when I write a music, write any kind of music, it's the, the music video is already in my head. I see a, a story and I just need to figure out the right words to put together to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And so I always have the idea for a music video in my head. Well, with this music video, I was the, because of COVID, I, I wanted you know, a bunch of people and they couldn't be in it. And so I was all of the characters. I was the director. I did the costumes. I did makeup and hair. I scheduled the whole thing. I made sure that we all did this stuff. And then I edited the music and I did all the sound engineering as well, or I edited the film and I did the sound engineering as well. Um, and that was, I did everything except for hold a camera, basically, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure I could have done that except for, I was the only one doing everything anyways. So I have never been in a, you know, my whole career, I've never been in the driver's seat in that capacity. And it was hard, but I was so excited about it that I, that I didn't feel difficult and it didn't feel like like work at all. It was just like my passion. And I was so engrossed in it that, you know, it was it, like, instead of giving energy out and not getting it back, it like came right back to me. And it's like vortex kind of way. And, and I never had that opportunity in the ballet, you know, I'd be told what steps to do, um, you know, on Broadway, it's what feelings to feel as an actress and, in, you know, what words to mm -hmm. sing and all these things. And that's very empowering to some extent. And I just, you know, I, I wanted more. And so that that's my, my idea of success is the more and living it. <laughs> I think that's a very uh, powerful lesson in not just uh, visualizing just the outcome, but also visualizing the process yeah. uh, because you kind of glean through a, a lot of that stuff, you know, again, you know, the hair and the makeup, you know, understanding, you know, I mean, I can even see you doing this, you know, on the mountaintop and how that worked out in the snow globe and just that whole visualization process and how all this is going to come together. Um, and again, you know, in your, your, you know, when you talked about being in the ballerina, you know, most of us have learned just to follow the instructions. And right. so there's no one way to do something, right? Yeah. You know, we all, it, it's there, or I should say, there's no right way and you don't have to be right about how you do it. It's getting what you want and getting yeah. that final outcome. Exactly. Maybe exactly. just find And that's why I love about coaching. Um, coaching is about taking your experiences and processes and stuff and finding a unique way forward, not necessarily telling you how yes. to do it. And so oh. you're relying on your skills, talents, knowledge, behaviors, you know, all those things. So um, it's create, you know, really creating that unique path with somebody that you partner with and move forward. So yeah. um, that's cool. Uh, you know, the, the last question I have for you today um, would be is what is that impact that you're going to have? So, if you were to throw a stone in the water and create a ripple effect, you know, what kind of impact would you have? I love that question. Thank you. Um, I, okay. So I, 
I, I, of course I see it before I can answer this. And so now I have to find the words to describe it. Um, for me, it's to, and the word empowerment is so watered down nowadays. So I want to describe it a little bit more in detail. Um, the empowerment that I see for everybody is the, the, the wearing of your own crowns, but then actually going even a step further and building your own crown and what that looks like for you. And we each get to craft our own version of a crown, whether that's a helmet, whether that's a ball cap, whether that's a tiara, you know, for in the ballet, for me, it was always a tiara, which yeah. is why Empress fit me so well. Um, but we each wear our own crown and, and, and we have to, to like, own it right and so if you look at the history of crowns and i've worn a lot of them over my career um, in the ballet they uh they were never owned by the person who's wearing it it's owned by the mm -hmm. uh, kingdom and so it's loaned to you for this lifetime or maybe less and you know you don't own it and so they're not they're, they don't build it it's been worn by someone else there's this pressure and there's a lot of insecurity that is built into these crowns because it's not yours it's going to be passed down to someone else there's 50 people waiting in line to you know wear it and so th this insecurity is built into it and so um for me i see the world kind of if you could just build your own crown, don't worry about what it, what other people's look like, or, you know, compare yourself to anyone else and then do a self coronation. So you don't wait for someone else. My whole career in the ballet, Broadway, everything was always based on casting. Am I going to get cast for this? And it wasn't up to me. It never was. And so I was always waiting for someone else to coronate me and it never happened. I mean, it rarely happened. I'll say never is a big word. It rarely happened. Um, and for me to realize my self-worth and just put my own crown gave me so much more, um, confidence in who I am as a person. And what that means to me is like, you know, okay, now I get to actually create this empire, this world that I get to live in by myself really. And, and kind of like maybe be a, a guiding light to other people to, to, follow my footsteps and find their own paths and their own things. But when we all wear our own crowns and we're all the ruler over on our own life, how that changes the world in such a positive way, because we're not pointing outwardly anymore. We're always looking inwardly. We are the people that can solve the problems. If we all do our part in taking care of like the planet or for female empowerment, if it comes from, if the empowerment comes from within, we will not be putting ourselves at risk to be, you know, disempowered by someone else because it's impossible. We're already, we're okay with ourselves. You can make fun of me and it's not going to change who I think I am, you know? So I think the positivity that comes from being the ruler over your own life and taking that journey of creating what is the crown that you want to build and it can evolve and it can change and it can grow and you can kind of continue building it throughout your whole life. But we're putting it on your own head and wearing it and owning your own crown is like, for me, I know that was a really long explanation, but I just felt like I needed to explain yeah. the visual that I see um, for, for how I would like to impact the world. No, thank you for that. I mean, and I really do appreciate you sharing your time, your energy, your journey, your story, you know, and helping inspire us to kind of be the rulers of our own life and, and creating our own, our own crown, uh, per se. I think you got a lot of actionable and valuable advice, you know, and what we'll do is, is, is we'll share how people can connect with you and your world. Right. And so, 
Um, we'll show that in the show notes. And again, I, I just wanted to say thank you very much. You know, um, it's, it's truly been an inspiration and you have a, a wonderful story. And uh, hopefully, you know, as folks begin to listen to this and they hear your story, they'll share that forward. And uh, those two, those two awards will be waiting for you in the next 10 or 20 years. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kirby, for having me. And, and you guys just love you all. Thank you for listening. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action. Please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript, and support us by smashing that like button. Leave a comment or review on whichever platform you are listening to the show on. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.